Revelation chapter 3, if you're there, the Bible says, verse 1, And unto the angel of the church in Southeast write, This thing saith he, that hath the seven spirits of God and seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die, for I have found, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Saudis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall work with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I would confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that had an ear, let him hear what the Spirit said unto thee, to the churches. Let us pray. Father, we pray that you would, uh, in these few minutes, give us the heart and mind to be attentive to what you want to tell us as your word is preached. We pray for your direction, understanding. And I also pray for your power, your presence among us. It will be felt when your word is preached that we will make the right decisions. Our life will be better than how we've come in this morning. And also that this church will improve and every aspect of our life will receive much blessings as we serve you and give you glory in our life. Thank you for saving our soul. Thank you for these promises you have given to us. Thank you for this place where you've chosen to put your name. Pray that our assembling of ourselves, this fellowship, will be blessed, and you, O oh God, will receive glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Here in Revelation chapter 3, if you want to understand much about the book of Revelation, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, is more focused on the church. And uh, the book of Revelation is speaking about the last things, the end things, in more detailed way. Uh, the book of Revelation, Daniel, the book of Daniel are all together. And they speak more about the end events. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, speaks within the church, inside of the church. Then from chapter 4, it gives us a global view of what the world will look like when the end comes. We know, of course, from the Bible that the end will come after rapture, not before, not post-rapture. We will not go through the great tribulation because, of course, we see a lot of examples from Noah's time to Lot and, uh, Lot and his family, they were removed from Sodom. They did not suffer the general judgment that God poured on Sodom. We see the same thing with Noah. Noah was taken out, raptured, cut out from the judgment of the world into an ark where he you know, floated for about 40 days. And that again pictures rapture and later on came back to the same earth after there was a new earth. That gives us a, an example of the rapturing of God's people or the church going up in heaven and then the new heaven, new earth being created after the war of Armageddon 
when we'll be settled down here on earth, when everything will be much better, perfect than it was, it is now. But the book of Revelation, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, is possible because a man called John, the apostle, was able to survive persecution, a lot of uh, torture. If you read the, the church history concerning the matter of God's people, the apostles, if you go on the internet, you can find them very uh, disturbing stories about their end, most of them. But it is true that God's people will suffer persecution. And John was given this privilege, the beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had survived on the island of Patmos, God gave him, Jesus gave him this revelation. This last event was given to him. He was the last apostle to pass on. And one of the first messages Jesus has for John to give out was the message to his church. There are seven churches of Asia mentioned here. I believe the churches that were still existing at the time when the world was caused. Christians were faced with very vile persecution and, of course, de deadly assaults and abuses, even murder sometimes. We see, if you read from chapter 1, you will notice the constant narr narr narratives, the constant uh, writings that Jesus, if, I, if you notice, is on red letter. If you have a Bible that has red letter, speaks that this is out from, this is God speaking to John. Uh, but although even if it's black letter, <laughs> they are all the word of God. But this is more expressly spoken from the mouth of Jesus Christ to John. And he wrote them down. And one of the things he was trying to send as a message to the church is because of the the situation the church was faced the church was faced with heavy persecution a lot of people have been killed because they follow Jesus they believe they are Christians the world systems the world kings and laws and leaders were more an opposition to the, God, to the, people, the people of God are Christians and because of that there was a need for God to encourage the remaining churches where we see seven churches, there could be others, but God chooses these seven churches of Ephesus, of Smyrna, of Pagamos, of Titeria, of Sardis, of Philadelphia, of Laodicea. God chooses all these churches to send a message. Every church is unique. Every church is just different from each other. In this, if you want to have an overview of all these churches, you will notice that they were all an imperfect church. Is that true? They were all an imperfect church. How many of us agree? Maybe you need to read it more. We also notice that they all had some good testimonies. Is it not? I know it's, it's been long you read your Bible. Of course, this part too. Maybe you should uh, take a time and read it. Another thing we notice about these churches is that they all have a special things promised by Jesus Christ. The, the rewards that God promised each churches were unique. They were not the same. Another thing we notice is that Jesus introduced himself to these churches in different ways. Abby? Here in the book of 
Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, he says, this is how Jesus introduced himself. This thing said, he that had the seven spirit of God and the seven stars. Now, this is how Jesus introduced himself. If I go back to Ephesus, this is how Jesus introduced himself. He said, he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And then he introduced himself in Smyrna, to the church of Smyrna in this way. He says, these things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. So, different ways where Jesus introduced himself, trying to describe his work as a high priest, trying to describe his work as the head, and the, of course the Lord of the church, trying to describe his work within the church. Every name. You know, God has a lot of names. All those names describes what he does and what it means to us it doesn't necessarily mean that it all defines him totally. It's just a name to describe him depending on the situation sometimes, like that of uh, Abraham when he was taking Isaac for the sacrifice to Mount Moriah. He said to uh, Isaac, the Lord will provide. In the Hebrew Bible, it's called Jehovah Jireh. That's the first use of God's name uh, in that uh, meaning. So most times God's name is trying to teach us what it does because God does a lot of work to us and of course to the church. In, to the church of Pagamos, the Bible says, This thing said he which had the sharp sword with two edges. Now this is all fearful sometimes descriptions. To the church of Titeria in chapter 2 verse 18, the Bible says, This thing said the Son of God who had his eyes like unto a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And then to the church of Saudis, he says to him that uh, the seven spirit, the seven, had the seven spirit of God and the seven stars. To the church of Philadelphia, Jesus introduced himself as he that is holy, he that is true, he that had the key of David, he that opened it and no man shut it and shut it and no man opened it. So a wonderful introduction describing who Jesus is to the church of Laodicea. Jesus introduced himself as the Amen and faithful and true witness, the beginning of recreation of God. Well, a lot of introduction. But there's something about the church of Southeast I want us to focus on in verse number three. Sorry, in verse number two. Jesus tells the church of Southeast that be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Now, that caught me thinking that certainly not just the church of Southeast, all the seven churches have had their fair share of losses. Is it true? And when Jesus is talking to the church of Southeast, he's trying to make them refocus, reset their mind, Remove their mind from an area of distraction or probably an area of more burden to focus on something more simple and easy to do. I will tell you as a nation of Nigeria, as a citizen, that there are a lot of losses, a lot of losses from the head to down the floor under the soil of our nation, there have been a lot of losses. From the churches, if you go through the churches and the histories of the churches in the world, 
you will come to understand that the churches have lost a lot of things. It's not just a secular view. Even as a church, we have our fair share of losses. Let me leave the church. As individuals, if you will sit down from the beginning of 2020 down till now, you will understand that we have had our own fair share of losses too. Our losses, they are countless. In fact, we are hard to even go back to our normal level. If you go down to families, husbands, you will understand that you have had your own fair share of losses as a husband. In every aspect of life, financially, spiritually, emotionally, in any way you want to take it, you will always find that there are a lot of losses. If you come to the point of view of a church, Potakot Independent Baptist Church, we are in our losses already. And it is even more relative for us to look at these verses and see that it resembles us. And I want to let you know this morning that Jesus wants us to refocus in strengthening what has remained. Is it not true that most times we focus on what we have lost, forgetting that there are things remaining and we don't pay attention? Sometimes the things we have lost are not the entire thing we lost. We still lost the things remaining because we don't pay attention to what remains. And this morning I want to remind you on certain things that are remaining. The message this morning is what is remaining? I'm asking you a question. What is remaining? As a student, over 180 days you've been at home because of strike, probably going counting. There have been some losses. Your, <laughs> your academic uh, exercise, your brain has lost the exercise of knowing more, acquiring more, having more experience in your field of profession or knowledge. You have had your fair share of losses as a student. In fact, you are in your losses. We don't know how long you will keep losing. <laughs> but what do we do? What, why is Jesus telling the church of Southeast to strengthen what remains? Let me let you know that the church of Southeast and all the seven churches of Asia were faced with heavy persecutions. They, were, they seemed to see or uh, think that they were in the last days. Even the apostles from the writings, you will see that they kind of think that they were in their last days. Towards the end event, towards the rapture, they, they, they kind of humanly saw the signs mentioned in Matthew chapter 24. That it could be that we are close to the end. Is it not true that we are also close to the end? And you can notice the, the change of of focus when it comes to the episodes that Jesus wrote to the churches. It was quite different. And so this morning, what is remaining? I want to give you a few things, three things that are remaining. Number one, there's no sacrifice remaining for our sins. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. The book of Hebrews sees Jesus as a better, or what you call superior high priest, superior Moses, superior Aaron, superior Levite, superior king, superior advocate. Every aspect of the work of the high priest 
Jesus was superior. He's our greatest high priest. In Hebrews chapter 10, in verse number 26, the Bible says, verse number 36, sorry. Yeah, verse number 26. The Bible says, For if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You see, let me let you know one thing. When Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for our sins, it meant that that sacrifice is final. In fact, Jesus himself declared on the cross of Calvary in John chapter 19, I believe, uh, in John chapter 19, verse 30, 38. He says the last, if you look at the red letter, he says the last utterance was, it is finished. That is to say, when it comes to the sacrifice, the atonement for sin, the remission of sin, that lamb-like sacrifice, which the Israelites used to perform, the God-like sacrifice of himself, being the lamb of God, has entirely completed the sacrifice. There is no need to continue to give sacrifice of animals. When Jesus died, the Bible says he became our final and eternal sacrifice. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, Jesus says, Looking unto him, speaking of himself, the author and finisher of our faith is complete, is finished, is done and dusted. The sacrifice for sin has been paid for. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think you can give your life then in order to be saved? I go so winning yesterday. I talked to some young people. Why do you think by giving your life to Christ would make you saved or become a born-again child? If you give your life to Christ, that is an act of sacrifice, a giving. If Jesus has given himself, there is no need for you to give. Please save your life. Keep it where it is. There are areas where you can use it, but not for salvation. You cannot give your life for salvation. Yes, you can give your life for a Christian uh, work or Christian service or as a minister or as a pastor, missionary, a laborer, a show winner, a teacher, whatever. You can give your life to Christ after you have received the one which he gave on the cross of Calvary. Because by receiving the one he gave, then it allows you to even have the opportunity to give the little of your life, the imperfect life which you have. The sinful life which we have. Our life is sinful and cannot be given for our sins. The sinner cannot die for his sin. It needs to be a righteous, an innocent animal as it was in the Old Testament. And an innocent lamb was used to replace, substitute the sinner. Jesus became our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. So that we will go scot-free, forgiven, cleansed, pardoned, justified, innocent whereas he did not he became guilty for our sins he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of god through him no sin sacrifice by the sin sacrifice of jesus christ is absolute there's no other need it's like putting a full stop to a sentence that's all bam it's done and dusted you don't add anything again there's no continuation it's done. The sentence is finished. The sacrifice is done and dusted. It is given and that settles it. Jesus himself is pleased with it. Even the Father in heaven received the sacrifice for sin. 
The sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary is eternal. There is a word used, the word that is used most often in Bible doctrines called efficacy. It means the, the blood of Jesus is valid today, was valid yesterday, is still valid tomorrow for sin. It never goes invalid. It never goes uh, 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 dead. It's still alive. That's why Jesus, when he died, took his blood up there in the very presence and mercy seat, the throne of God, and there applied his blood. That blood, unlike you and I, our blood will dry up and even change color and nobody will know. That blood of Christ is still, the efficacy of his blood is still valid today for sin. There is no other way to forgive sin or wash away sin. There is no lamb sacrifice. There is no human sacrifice of giving yourself. It is the sacrifice that Jesus offered on the cross of Calvary. When, uh, when a sacrifice is offered, what do you need to do? You have to accept it for your sin's sake. I was telling the young people yesterday that whatever we give for salvation, I asked them what would someone do to be saved, 100% sure. That if you do it today, you know that tomorrow you're saved. You know that any day you're saved if you do that one thing today. I asked them, they say, if I, if I keep the commandment. I said, well, if you keep it today and you break it tomorrow, would you still go to heaven? They said, no. I said, then that doesn't stand. That's the problem with our own righteousness. Yes, sometimes we do some good things. But it does not last. It does not. So it cannot stand for an eternal God. God wanted an eternal sacrifice, and we as immortal, uh, mortal cannot give. And only Jesus, his son, could give something that will last for eternity and still fresh and valid. Because when we sin, we will need to renew it again. We will need to go and do it again, Abby. The Israelites, when they sinned, after one year, they were allowed to come to the temple and give an animal sacrifice. Once in a while, the sacrifice of peace offering, of sin, was given of turtle dove, or pigeon, or lamb, or goat. They brought it to the high priest. As soon as you notice, they say, there's a, 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 there's a boundary, there's a, a gap between you and God. Something that you know, this thing is something that is wrong. What I've done is wrong. Uh, this is sin. You have to take a turtle dove or a pigeon or a lamb or a goat or a sheep and take it to the high priest for the high priest to sacrifice. And once a year, Israel as a nation comes and offer a sacrifice. Knows we, the Bible calls it at the day of atonement. That day when they give that sacrifice is for one year. God forgives their sin for one year. And then after one year again, they go back again and they renew it. The Bible says for that of Jesus Christ, there remaineth no more sacrifice. Isn't that wonderful? That what, what was paid for 2,000 years ago is still valid today and will still be valid for tomorrow. I do not need to give in order to be saved all I have to do to be saved is to receive what was given. Because see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. What he has given, it still counts for us. The Bible says the gift and calling of God are without repentance. The wages of sin is dead, but the gift of God is eternal life. That gift is eternal. You have it today, you have it tomorrow, you have it till you leave this world. It still counts. There is no more sacrifice for sin. I wonder if you have come to Jesus to receive and accept that sacrifice for your sin. Or you want to give yours 
You want to give your life? The best way to give your life is to go to hell. No, no, some people think, well, to give my life is to live for God, live a holy life, serve the Lord. <laughs> that, that is a different concept. To give your life is to die and go to hell. We think it's to actually serve God, you know, but it, to actually pay for your sin. If you want to follow that, that concept, you have to then die for your sin, physical death, then spiritually be separated from God into an eternal uh, hell. That you have paid for it. If you think, well, I can be going to church, read my Bible, and do all these things, then by doing those things, trying to live as they call it, holy life, we're doing that, those things, I'm giving my life. Did Jesus go to the temple and pray, uh, pay his tithe, love his neighbors, and raise the dead and heal the sick and left to heaven? Is that how he died for our sins? How much more we? We have to go to the cross, be crucified, and be sent to hell. That is how you actually sacrifice or give your life to Christ in order to go to heaven. And in hell, you can no longer go to heaven. So that's not an option. The best option today is in John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many, as many, as many as received him to them, gave him power, gives you a position and authority, a place of confidence and joy, a place of uh, relationship, gave him power to become the sons and daughters of God. When my mother gave birth to me, I did not give my life to my mother. You see how it sounds when we apply it naturally. doesn't sound well. When my mother gave life to me so that I can give life to to her, that's, that's an indirect that She gave birth to me so that I will also give my own way of life to her by giving her my attention, my whatever I can to make sure as a mother she's happy. Is it not? She, I cannot give her if she did not give me. Give birth to me. I cannot give. So for salvation, we have to first receive the life which Christ gave, died on the cross, was buried, rose again the third day for your sins. That receiving him makes you his child. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons and daughters. It's not but as many that give their life to Christ, but as many that go to church, but as many that keep the commandment. I was telling the young people, we think we know English more than Jesus, right? Maybe Jesus should have added something. Same thing with John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever go to church, whosoever keep the Ten Commandments, whosoever live a righteous life, whosoever try to love his neighbor, whosoever, maybe that verse would be the longest verse in the Bible if all these things were added. You know, salvation is simple. Whosoever believe it should not perish, but have. The word have is perfect Thanks. Now, tomorrow, tomorrow you have it. Till you die, you have it. Have it now. Have it tomorrow. Have it next tomorrow. No sacrifice remaining. Number two, his seed remained. In First John, First John. This is a verse I was in, while I was at Ugoja, a man came to church and used these verses to try to mention the issue with eternal security or eternal salvation or eternal life. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 9, the Bible says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. Hello? 
What do we say of that? Is it true? Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. You commit sin, then you are not born of God. That's the easy way to explain the Bible. And it's very good because it's logic. But notice they say, you know those two gods? It's about to define what he's saying to us. He's not just telling us to rest here. You know, first of all, do not want to finish the verses. First of all, do not want to read it all. They want to stop there and hold it and say, Is he happy? No. He says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for he is sinned. Now, let's go. Now, some of you are young people. Let me don't go into the biological sense. The seed, a fruit seed, give birth to a fruit seed. The fruit was spoiled, does the seed spoil? If you buy a purple and the purple gets spoiled, you can take out the seed and plant it. Don't be so. The seed remains the same thing with our natural bread. The father gives bread, the mother gives bread, the seed, the gene, all those things in the child is there. It remains. In fact, we can even trace our gene back to Adam, according to some people today. We can notice that the genes seem to resemble, you see, chromosomes of death, whatever. We, that is the seed. When, when Jesus was saying in Genesis chapter 3 that the seed of the woman, because the man will not be involved in the breaking uh, of the Son of God, it was for the woman took it, the seed of the woman. And I hear that it's women that determines. <laughs> women are strong. They are the ones who, that's biology anyway. The Bible says, whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. Notice in John chapter 1 verse 13. Media, John chapter 1 verse 13. That's why I am saved eternally, because I was not saved by my own doing. Same thing with Jesus Christ. He was not given birth by man's relationship. He was conceived of the Holy Ghost. The same thing I was said by the power of the Holy Ghost, of the power of God. The Bible says, which were born not of blood, lineage, not of the will of the flesh, desire, not of the will of the man, but of God. How did God make Adam out of his image and likeness? We are not know. There was no woman involved. Many false teachers going through terrible teachings, false teachings, called religion into how Adam and Adam were born and the rest. God could make some, something to be like him. The same thing. I was made to be like God. That nature of God was imputed in dwelling in me. That nature of God cannot sin. Do you understand? That nature of God cannot sin. Second Corinthians chapter 5, I think verse 17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, born again, regenerated. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You are now new, but your nature of flesh does not change, right? There is a change inside, not the outside. The same thing with the seed, when the seed is planted. That seed germinates, dies, the inside is what is coming out. The outside will die off. The inside, it grows from inside, not from outside, inside. The Bible says, His seed remains. That's why we believe that no matter how 
The life of yes, sin is a terrible thing. God does not like, nor look at, nor stay around sin. He has never told us he likes sin. And we cannot try to be religious or righteous enough or more than God to think that when someone is saved, whether you commit sin, that you still go to heaven. That that is not how God wants it. Are we God? If that is the case, nobody will actually go to heaven. You see, God is saying that, you see, what I put in you, the Holy Spirit, that nature of me that is in you, when you become born again. Titus 3, 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his power, he saved us by the washing, renewing of the Holy Ghost. Bible says in First Peter, Second Peter, chapter one, verse four. Second Peter, chapter one, verse four. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by this ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Divine nature. That divine nature of God. Cannot sin, like Pastor Maskey would explain. If you go to a, if you go to a bar to drink alcohol as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will follow you. The Holy Spirit will follow the alcohol. You go and steal. The Holy Spirit will follow you. Definitely not. If I even put it drop so that they catch you, you will not succeed. That's why Christians don't succeed where the unbelievers succeed. Don't try it unless you're not saved. If you try to steal, you need to catch. Leave the, 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 the unbeliever to go scot free. Because there's something nature in you that, that convicts you, that wants to correct you, that wants to keep you down to doing the thing that, that will be just such nature, you should be part. God does not want us to steal, but when you steal, the Holy Spirit is not involved. The Holy Spirit does not steal with you. When you go and fornicate, the Holy Spirit does not fornicate with you. When you drink alcohol, the Holy Spirit does not drink with you. Don't think and say, God, you know, get as you did. There is no get as you did. You are doing the wrong thing. Say. But that nature that is embedded indwelling you does not partake in your same heart and can never. Because this, that nature is divine nature of God. That's why the Bible says, he that is born of God cannot commit sin. If we go to, if we think that I want to describe it the way people describe it, then if we go on from the book of Genesis to Revelation, we'll find out that nobody is a child of God. Nobody is a child. Do we go into the details? It was going to take much time. Let me not go into the details. But nobody is a child, not even Moses. Maybe Abraham. Abraham is even is still part of us. But the Bible says of the prophet that is of like passion. Don't look at this man and so much in the stars of heaven and felt that this is a man like you. Face with the same thing you face. We have a seed that remaineth, that dwells. That stays, that nature of God cannot sin. Every seedling carries the seed. When a fruit spoils, it does not affect the seed. Although some do, but in general, most seed 
fruit do not, the seed does not get affected when it's spoiled. The Holy Spirit in us cannot sin. It is born of God, not man. Number three. This is where it gets more serious. Revelation chapter three. Let's go into um, text verse. In verse number two, the Bible says, Be watchful and strengthen th the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember that, remember, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If, there, there, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come unto thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Verse 4 tells us why he's telling them to strengthen what remains. What is remaining? Thou hast a few names, even in Southeast, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Are you, did you notice how God describes the church number? That you have few names. He did not say many names. You have two strengths, you have two people, you have two ministries, you have two things around you. I want you to strengthen those two things. Don't go to the door and start stopping. See, one thing I noticed about Jesus Christ is that Jesus loved everybody. Jesus healed anybody concerning based on his own prerogative, his compassion. Jesus made sure everybody heard the word of God. But in John chapter 3, verse, John chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus never stopped the multitude from living. Did he? John chapter 6, verse 6, medium. Jesus had fed 5,000 people. Why would people leave a man who had fed them already? Why would people have issues with a man who preaches the truth? Why would people have problems with Jesus Christ, who is even better and more even compassionate and loving than any other religious group they have around them or leaders? Why would this multitude decide to leave Jesus Christ? If multitude will leave Jesus Christ, now who be a living? People come and go. Yes, as a church, as a, as a pastor, as a laborer, as a teacher, as a soldier, as a father, people come and go in your life, people come and go in the church. Our duty is to do as much as possible to keep them. But you can't stop them from going. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked no more. Let me tell you the effect of this multitude in the life of the apostles. Why Jesus was telling the church of Southeast to strengthen what remains. If, assuming I'm in a ministry, and there's so much in that ministry, we are doing this together for God. One person goes back, drawbacks, one person goes back, one person does not continue, because as, as time goes on, I, we become two in the ministry. Does that discourage me? No. Yes, it does. Let me not discourage it discourages me. This body to live in Jesus Christ, would this act destroy the apostles? Yes. They are sitting down and seeing Jesus call crowds. People are getting saved. Life is changing. He's helping them in the areas where he can, having compassion, meeting their needs. And then Jesus, they are sitting down and seeing these people arguing with Jesus and trying to find one thing or the other. 
happening? Jesus has spent these 5,000. They are asking him questions. He's teaching them the truth. He is even giving them raw truth they cannot digest. As soon as Jesus said, Well, you eat my flesh and take my blood, the people began, became offended. That was it. They said, I will have nothing to do with this one. Go. That was it. From that time, many of the disciples, many of the disciples went back and walked no more. You notice know, the 666. You notice know, the 666. We are in a time where many will not continue. And Jesus is telling the church of Southeast, be careful. Do not so much run to the door of those who are going and say, don't go. I want you to go to the, those few who are not going and strengthen those few. And if you notice in this story, Jesus kept on talking about individual rewards. He said, he that overcome it, he not said the church that overcomes. We are in a time when, yes, as a church, we should do it together. Yes, as a church, yes, we should serve together. Yes, as a church, we should grow together. But let me tell you the truth, you are on the own. We are in the last days of 66 of now, when man will decide to do what he wants to do, and you cannot stop men. You have to do what God wants you to do. Overcome. Strengthen what remains. That's why we miss. You notice in the church today, there are a lot of people are discouraged to turn out the numbers and are showing the rest. I'm not worried. In fact, coming out from this church, there's something I was worried. It, it kind of seemed to be more of a reveal of what I'm coming to do. And God kept on letting me know that you see the number you're seeing, you will not see half of it. And there's one thing I kept on telling God. And when I went to the church of Goza, I was preaching and preaching. Sometimes I would have people who show up. I would go as I visit the church members every day of the week. From Monday till Saturday, I do visitation. They're not renting now, so it's easy to visit. I would visit some, sometimes, somebody. I would come out when my wife is heavy, when she's about to be when she's nursing. Ah, she can't come out when I come out. The lady will come out and, and sometimes I didn't have that job. This is this thing. Me, I will go another place. I will use my bicycle and go to other places. I did that for one year, telling my testimony. And there was a day I was sitting down in the church. I was wondering, why is it that all these things I've done, all these things we are trying to do? I sit down, all I see is 14, 15. I became discouraged. In fact, it almost caused me depression. And there's something as I was begging God and trying to know why and trying to find if it's my fault or something. Do you know what I notice? Every time I pray, God will keep on giving me one encouragement. If your wife comes to church, preach to your wife. Make sure you bring your wife to your wife to church. There is one member of the church, of my church, that will always discourage me. It's when my wife doesn't come to church. I don't care if you don't come to church. If it's one person preaching, if it's two person preaching, if it's four person preaching, you know why? There will come a time when many will not continue. Jesus is not talking about something of 30 years. It's happening right now. It happened in the church of Sardis of over 1,000 years. Today it's happening. In our ministries, in every aspect of the church, there are a lot of people that need strengthening because why? They have discouraged the numbers and not what they used to be. The church finances are not what it used to be. The zeal are not what it used to be. 
The law are not what it used to be. The fellowship are not what it used to be. Your individual life even are not what it used to be. Your businesses are not what it used to be. The youth of our church are not what it used to be. But thank God, they now have a few people. You have some few people and spending those two people. And how many so so much worried about the numbers of the enemies, but how much they have? What do we have as a question? What is remaining? Jesus is asking the church of Sardis. You have a few things. I know you lost a lot of things. I know you lost your businesses. Maybe you lost some things, appointments, and some contacts. I know you lost some joy. I know you lost some things, relationships, friendship. I know you lost some things you wanted to accomplish within the past two years. Certainly, they told everybody have their own pressure losses. But let me ask you a question. Is there anything remaining? Is there anything remaining? Is there anything remaining? Is there anything remaining? Strengthen what remains. Forget about the ones that have been lost. God help us give us the strength and wisdom. We may bring some back. We may try to reach more. We may try to encourage some. We try to pray for some. We try to do as much as we can for some. But we even as Jesus, Jesus never turned and said to the multitude, Why are you good? You know what Jesus said? He left the ones that were going and he went to the ones that were sitting down. And he said, Will thou also leave? You know the problem in our ministries? You know the problem in our churches? It's not those who leave that's the problem. It's that we focus more on the leaving and forget those who are remaining. If these ones who are remaining are strengthened, those who are leaving will even come back. It's because we, do, we, not, we lose it both ways. We, leave the, we worry about those who are leaving. Child, our children just leave before I understand. And I pray it helps, it gets better. But let me tell you the fact, it won't. It won't, maybe in the next 10 years, probably. It won't. As I speak to you, the IBC Calabar, you see, the transitional period did not just happen, and things begin to shine up and find out. I notice things are getting back to the normal phase because it takes time. The church will go through that duration. The church will go back to that area and then rise up again because God's church will continue. Irrespective of numbers, financial strength, laborers. If they are few, the church will keep going on. Jesus did not stop the, the disciples leaving. Jesus, of all the numbers he had in Galilee, Jerusalem, Capernaum, Bethany, all those cities, he preached. At the end of this Jesus' ministry, he turned to one person in chapter 21. He says, Peter, Lord, let's have more than this. You know what Jesus was doing? I'm not trying to strengthen those of all those who have run away. I'm not trying to try to get them back. I wish they come back. But that's the fact. We cannot kill ourselves. It's natural. It has to happen. It's natural causality. Jesus comes to those people and says, We have hope. He comes to the Jews and says, We have more people than this. Jesus cared about the world, not the multitude. With the 
and turn it upside down. Yes, they have thousands of people saved. Yes, they have millions of people converted in history because of their work. However, Jesus' ministry was focused on two of them. Even when one betrayed him, he still continued with them. And added Saul, added Barnabas, and then John Mark. They continued to add Simeon. They added a lot of people. And in Acts chapter 2, the Bible says there were 150 in the house. Both women and children. The church began to grow to 3,000, 5,000. Even multitude on innumerable were added to the church. Why? When Jesus was working, although focused on the global view of trying to reach people, however, the few were remaining, he made sure to strengthen them. When Gideon was about to go and fight, Gideon was worried about numbers. Let's not worry about numbers, because numbers is great. This church has attained over 2,000 in a church service. Baba Church has attained over 5,000. I think in 2006 or seven, they had people walking from every angle. There were people sitting in the church. They are around bus routes in the morning. They are so many of so many of over 200 persons at once for so many. They used to close that bus for so many. And I visit Baba. But if you go there today, it's just a simple small group of people who come out. But you know what Pastor Nicholas is doing? You know what the church is doing? It's not about looking for those who is to come in the gospel. It's to look at the people and say, Hey, brother, thank you for coming so many. Hey, brother, I'm encouraged because you come so many. I'm encouraged because you see, don't you notice the choir is reducing the number? The choir used to be from here to here. Don't you notice it? Is it only me that notice it? But the few that say, Do we encourage the few complex of what they are more, more in that number? You know, the increase is not because. God gives increase. Paul mentioned that in Joshua Corinth. At Paul, vanish, Apollo's water, God gives increase. I'm not the one that builds it. We have to do our own part. Coming down here, I had several names. Some people are giving, giving, giving me names. I call, I text, I visit. I say, brother, I don't see a church. What's happening? So I didn't say that come to the person. The next Sunday will come. How come to Sunday you go back? I think that that's an experience Pastor Matthew wants me to know. That's some high level experience too. And sometimes I begin to wonder, it's not like this. The way he administrates things is much, much better because he doesn't so much go into your house and visit you. But although sometimes it doesn't happen, we wish he visited us, have we? But you know one thing, even if he visits us, we come that Sunday and we go back. And if he visits you again, we come one Sunday and go back. If he visits you again, come, what do you think the man will be tired? And look, Jesus, well, this one, let me just think, when he's ready, we'll come to church. They encourage the person, he comes so many this morning, he starts doing so many, ah, come back, let's go Sunday. He comes one, two, three Saturdays, the next Saturday, what happened? Ah, I get one, go out. There's this, you know. Well, Jesus is telling the church of service. You see those one in your hospital. You see those one in your ministry. You see those few in your church members. You see those few in faithfulness. You see those few that pray in our prayer meeting. You see those few that pray in the next prayer meeting. You see those few that go upstairs for the daily meetings. Or even the weekly monthly meetings. 
Is it those few that come to sing in the choir? Is it those few that do the worship work in the church? Is it those few that preach with the gospel? Is it those few that you can count on week in, week out to show up? That few strengthening Jesus was not in the work of getting them back in the church of service. He said to the church of service, he see those few people strengthen them. In John chapter 6, verse 66, few people, the 12. In John chapter 6, verse 9, few virtuals. There is a lad here who had five belly loaves of bread. What are they amongst so many? You don't have so much strength in the few. Find joy in this one, but there are some that don't even have. Some have, what can we eat? Some can eat without the food. We have food, and we can eat. Glory be to God. That should be our daily concept. Sometimes we have abundance, sometimes we have overflow, but Jesus promised us bread. Deliver. If you have few, glorify the Lord with you. Eat the few. If you have little bit of bread and strength, go slowly. Have that little small strength, go slowly and strengthen that one. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Because I tell you the truth, when they can't even know what will strengthen you, they will weaken you. Nobody will strengthen you. If they do, it's good. Well, let me just It is past time when people used to like each other. People began to request for Facebook to do the good dislike. Facebook do what? Dislike. In fact, I even just say Facebook should put quiet. You know why? Because people saw one have one option. When you post up the picture, all I have to do is like or comment. And I don't want to do sentences and results, right? Because it will be reported. What people do easily is to like and then decide again. The same person will like a picture and go to the other side and exercise his free will of disliking. People even prefer to dislike pictures more than like it. Talk less of our Christian life in this time when it's the last days. It will be hard for you to see people strengthen you. You have to strengthen yourself in the Lord. And the few which you do, Keep doing the few. As a church, yes, we pray, we grow, we expand, we reach many people, we reach the river area with churches the Lord, we expand and go even global program, probably with missions work, we see people rising in level, but the Bible says the magic. The harvest is plenteous. The problem is not that there is no harvest. The Bible they don't call it labor, it's plenteous. There's two concepts there. The harvest is dangerous. That's to let us know that the work which we do is a harvesting work. It's less labor. It should be joyous. But the problem here is in John chapter 6, verse 7, Philip saw the few finances. We have 100 penny worth of bread. What are they among so many? They are not sufficient. Are you with few financial strength? Are you with few uh, your health struggles? Whatever it is, Jesus says at this time, what he wants you to be doing is to strengthen those few things, those little things. 
In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus says there are few laborers. That was 2,000 years ago. How much more now? There are still few laborers. In Revelation chapter 20, chapter 3, verse 4, Jesus said that has a few names. They are people, few, who still hold on to their testimony, who still live a well-signed, right, Christian life. They are few of them, and those should be the few who strengthen. Strengthen individuals. Notice in Revelation, all the seven churches, churches Jesus said, He that overcometh. They did not say, They that overcome. They that overcome. We that overcome. He said, He that overcometh. With I be the crown. You know, as you speak, so, as you hear my voice, that day when God will work, everybody, according to our works, after being saved, you see, God will not reward, I pray God the words to thank God independent of this church, a glorious man. And then when the pastor passes, we'll take, and after that, they will take, we'll take for the church, for his work. But there is an individual reward that God promises the church membership. I say, see, outside of the pastor, outside of these people, that never, you can make something. You can get reward. Overcome. 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 Overcome your fear. Overcome your few things. Your few financial strength. Your few knowledge. Your few lifestyle. Your few friendship. Your few ministry. Also, not, not so many is around that ministry. Your few talents. Your few relationship or whatever it is. Your few business. It's not so much if I even have tied your bank account. When they send you a lot, you know they show best. That few strengthen. Strengthen thyself in the more. Strengthen the few things. We have lost a lot. Aftermath of COVID-19 and now in the post-Delta variant and the rest. It's even an illusion to say we can get back, but rather a statement of faith, we can get back. I can tell you that this church has seen its peak, its zenith. In the past five, ten years, this church has seen thousands saved, souls changed, ministries doing great things for God. But let me tell you the truth, the devil is not sleeping. And for like the church of Southeast, there may not be many doing it. There may not be many as we used to. There may not be as much as we used to. But Jesus is very focused. He's writing to the few of the church and saying, forget the number, forget the great, forget all those things of the Senate and glory and glory. Strengthen those two things. Are you a bus captain? Your bus route is running... Five, six, over twenty before. Strengthen the few. Are you a Sunday school teacher? Children are not so many upstairs. Strengthen the few children. Are you a choir director, a choir chorister, a member? There are not so much people singing in the choir. Strengthen the few singing. Are you an usher? Are you a father, a mother? There's not so much financial strength. The little you have, have joy and strengthen yourself. It will not even get better.
So you rather get better by strengthening yourself. You have to do it to yourself. There is no need 